We want to be buying in time and not late to the party. People who are late to the party get burnt in real estate. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, it's a code cracker. Yes, we're doing the matrix. We're taking the blue pill. We're going to dig in and peel back the onion layer when it comes to property market cycles. We're going to dig into how they work, how they operate, what you can examine to come to your own conclusions around where the market is. Are we actually in a rising market right now? I tell you what, it's an interesting conversation. There are some economic principles, some economic theories that we're going to explore today that prove once and for all that we are actually in a rising market and prices are increasing. Let's go through what they look like. But first, it's a big welcome to the show to everyone who is tuning in. And of course, my regulars, welcome back. You know who you are. And of course, any new listeners, thank you for choosing me to be part of your day. Play the show in double speed. Get your life back. It's the only rule we have here. Speed me up. It's uh, it's worthwhile because um, actually it means you're going to put more valuable time back into your life. And uh, I'll tell you what, big part of my journey is simply sharing information. And today I want to go through really unpacking the power of the cycle, understanding the fundamentals of the cycle. And I guess when people talk about the property cycle, it's like the bottom, the top, the rise, but really what is inside that layer today is what we're going to get up to. We're going to dig into the layer inside of the property cycle. Not many people uh, really comprehend how the property cycle moves. Today, I want to give you really the equations behind how the property cycle works. So it should be a fun-filled episode. Uh, I think it's a fun-filled episode, but as I speak, leaf blowers roar. Now, I tell you what, we are basically in the spring selling season. That means leaf blowers are going to be uh, basically ruining my life. But there is a concept when the leaf blowers roar or the leaf blowers begin to roar, so does the property cycle. And uh, hey, maybe that uh, algorithm is true as well. In spring, same things seem to happen in real estate when the leaf blowers start. But today we're going to go through the property cycle itself. We're going to have a big chat about what it is and how it works. And if we do find ourselves in a rising market, the property cycle is very, very important to property investors. And I've got a little sort of saying I use uh, every now and then that the A-grade property investor buys on time. The B-grade buyer buys in time. They make it. They get in there. The C-grade investor or buyer, though, buys when it's too late. They buy when they're out of time. Really, this is how real estate works. The A-grade buyer, if you like, makes a profit and can have options such as selling to the C-grade buyer because the C-grade buyer has come in very late to the party. The C-grade buyer, well, they usually are going to either pay too much for a property or they're going to take a hit and go negative in equity on property. The A and B grade buyer, they can either sell to the C grade buyer or what happens is, more commonly, they use the C grade buyer's price that they've paid late in the cycle to extract equity out of the properties they've bought. So we don't want to be a C grade buyer. We definitely want to be an A grade buyer buying on time or if we're a little bit late to the party, uh, mainly because we're using financial uh, systems such as banks that sometimes give us money late in the piece, we want to be buying in time and not late to the party. People who are late to the party get burnt in real estate. And so it's very important to understand where we are in a cycle right now. 
we at a macro level are in a really, really interesting place when it comes to a property market cycle. I think it's fair to say right now the media has started to shift their belief system around real estate. Um, and when we look at the overall fundamentals of the Australian real estate marketplace, there's some pretty good signals. I mean, Australia's a large economy, the 13th largest globally in the world. It's really had an uninterrupted period of no recessions at this point, other than the little blip during COVID, which no one really counts because everyone was locked down. And when it comes to the health of the Australian property market, well, we've got some very, very low vacancies, a real shortage of supply, and of course, massive, massive numbers of skilled migration putting pressure on already a very tight marketplace. So when we look at the ingredients of property, we can see that Australia actually is very blessed because we run a migration-based economy. And of course, when we look at our leading companies inside of Australia, they are posting profits. ANZ just posted a record interim profit. Macquarie Bank posted a profit. Uh, we've got some big, big companies around the world posting profits. Companies which have reaches into Australia, they may not be just Australian companies or Australian banks, but you've got, for example, Microsoft pulling big profits, Apple, big profits. So most major companies, if they're ASX listed or Fortune 500 listed as a company of America, they are posting profits. Companies are profitable right now. And again, like for a lot of the major, major influences in economics, we are seeing a healthy, healthy environment from a company's point of view. And of course, a lot of this links to then if companies are doing well, then there's jobs available. And really, uh, we are seeing a very, very tightly held, resilient jobs market here in Australia, where there's uh, really uh, jobs for everybody. And again, sometimes I guess we feel like when rates go up, that really uh, it's the end of the world. And really, arguably, when rates go up, it means you're you're running a, a growth-orientated economy. Now, I know a lot of the rate increases which we've seen of late have been linked to inflation, which is very true. The cost of things going up, uh, and of course, to rein in the cost of things going up, you you've got to deal with inflation. But things generally go up because uh, there is a shortage of stuff, and a lot of that shortage can also be linked to the health of the overall economy. But with a healthy economy, also there are challenges. And certainly the biggest challenge here in Australia is supplying the real estate market with properties for a migration system which is seemingly out of control. There's more people coming. There's no properties for them to live. And we're seeing that unfold in particular whereby the rental market is soaring in value. And of course, with the stability around the rates that have basically stopped going up month on month, and we've had some pauses, we're starting to see a little bit of strength come back into the sentiment of property. It's not the end of the pauses, but certainly uh, what the pauses have done has said, we know where the top is, we're there now, or we may need one more interest rate movement just to reach the top of the money cycle. So people are confident now that they know the true worth of money. They know it's not going to double the cash rate right now. The cash rate's not going to end up at 8%. We are basically here now or maybe one or two more movements. But really, most people now know how to budget. And when people know how to budget, they know what to do with their money. Uh, prior to, to this point, people were like, well, I don't know how to budget. I don't know what's going to happen next month. But uh, most banks, most economists, most uh, really people connected with the financial services side of the marketplace realize now 
that uh, we are at the peak of the money cycle. And of course, this has led to banks such as the National Australia Bank to come out with some hedonic dwelling price forecasts of uh, many, many cities that are very positive. You know, the National Australia Bank's come out with Sydney to do uh, really for the financial year, um, next financial year or current financial year, if you like, of... uh, 6.9% 6.9% dwelling price growth. 2024, 4.9%. Accumulatively, the next 24 months is basically somewhere like 12% price growth for Sydney. Perth is 13%. Melbourne, around 10%. Brisbane, around 10% as well. So these are some good numbers, which really are a number linked to effectively a rising market. If your market's going to go up 10% in two years, you've got a rising market. Um, And very much if you look and plot the uh, index of Australian real estate, you've got an average, uh, you've got the market dropping below average or losing value, and you've got above average or the market gaining value. And really, if you go and find yourself a graph of the property index, We are now in a rising uh, marketplace. And of course, this is something which is uh, maybe taking a few people by surprise. And of course, there are downswings, side swings, upswings and booms when it comes to the real estate marketplace. And of course, CoreLogic has come out and backed really uh, the, the idea that we are in a rising marketplace putting some, um, you know, basically dwelling movement on really the last three months in a row of prices starting to go up in most places. And of course, you add that to where we are with the low vacancy rate in our big capital cities. People don't have enough places to choose when it comes to renting a property. And of course, this is creating a rental growth scenario. And of course, uh, when we look at the forward forecasts of the cash rate, even banks like the Commonwealth Bank of Australia come out and said in early 2024, there will be rate reduction, uh, rates being reduced or the cash rate being reduced. And that means obviously the rate we borrow money will also be reduced if we haven't gone and fixed our rates at the top of the cycle. And of course, uh, down the track, if we look into 2025, banks like Westpac have come out and said that they expect the cash rate to be lower than 3% in 2025. So that means ultimately, we will be borrowing money at uh, circa 5, 5.5% down the track, not where we are today. And Obviously, people are starting to see the benefit of that information because people are out shopping and buying real estate. And uh, even if we have a look at media articles that most people are seeing in their local backyard, uh, there is all sorts of fairly positive media stories being printed inside of the digital media space. You know, you've got... uh, headlines such as how much house prices will rise in your city. We've got headlines like wait till 2026 warning as the rental crisis approaches that time period. It's going to get even worse. House prices will keep rising into next year, says Domain, as immigration boosts demand. Uh, Here's another article by uh, Emma Duffy auction clearance rates bounce back to an annual high. So we're starting to see the market really change direction. Sydney property market swells with upward trends. Uh, Brisbane's unit market, one of the best performing markets in the country. Brisbane readies itself for a mega price boom, according to CoreLogic. Melbourne's home price forecast has surged 10% by the Herald Sun. This is what people in Melbourne are are reading in the Herald Sun. Melbourne home price forecasts to surge 10% in 18 months, says National Australia Bank, uh, reported by the Herald Sun. 
in Perth, you've got things like Perth property popularity, a double-edged sword as rent soar and properties are scarce. The only way is up for the Perth housing market. Perth house prices tipped to hit a new high in 2024, according to a journalist, Sarah Brooks. Again, like these are some of the headlines which everyone is sit- sitting. My old mate, Neela Sweeney, uh, she's at the Financial Review. Uh, Neela and I go way back, don't we, Neela? Hope you're well. Uh, Sydney house prices set to rise 9% to a record high. So we've got uh, some predictions that are being reported in the media. And of course, uh, Westpac has come out and predicts that house prices will rise 5% in 2024. Rate cuts are predicted by the Commonwealth Bank uh, in early 2024. So you can see a correlation that there's going to be price rises and potentially even a rate cut. And of course, all of this links to what is known as the property cycle. And really, there are some methodologies in the property cycle which I think are important to understand. There are some economic principles inside of the cycle which are just really important conversations to understand. Now, when most people examine the cycle, they just see words which are kind of you know, designed to help you understand a property clock. And a clock is really this idea that we have four periods, a boom, a slowdown, a real slump, and then recovery. And really, there is a market peak, there is a period of decline, there is a period where the market approaches the bottom, there's the bottom of the market, then there is a start of recovery, an eventual rise of the market, and then the market starts to get really hot and then the market peaks again. And so it's a pretty simplistic way for most people to go, where is the market cycle? But of course, things run a lot deeper than that. And as I alluded to today, I wanted to peel back the London, uh, the onion, not London, we're not peeling back London, we're peeling back the onion and having a look at how the market cycle actually moves. What are the equations that move the market cycle? So really, you could uh, really call today a lesson on the cycle. And uh, I really want to give you this lesson. And of course, probably the first economic principle connected to the cycle is consumption is separated from production. It's a very important part of the process. Supply is always separated from demand in real estate. And if we look right now at the supply figures, which are falling away, uh, there's no stock being produced. There's not enough being produced. But when we look at demand, demand is increasing. Consumption is always separated from production. And in real estate, we often refer to that, or in economics, we often refer to that as the bull whip effect. Think of a whip. It's like a big snake. It eventually cracks. uh, And there's going to be a crack in the system as the whip cracks, so to speak. Consumption is separated from production. And it really is a consumer demand theory of economics, which John Hicks created in 1939. And if we look at the current input of where we're at, we can start to go, well, there's some validity in perhaps what National Australia Bank is reporting when it comes to future price growth. Right now, the input is record low supply, rates that are at the top of the cycle, a low jobless rate, people have all got jobs, and inflation is seemingly becoming less of a headline. The output of that, which as going to happen down the track is continued rising rents, a rising marketplace, and of course, a lower cost of a mortgage. You put those together, you put the input in, you get the output. That's the bull whip effect, which really comes from the concept of consumption is separated from uh, production. Obviously, Uh, when it comes to the conversation around marketplaces, they're not designed to also go up every single year. It doesn't work like that. 
So what happens is you have a poor year, then you have a better than average year. Then you have a poor year, then you have a better than average year. Some markets snake along like that. Other markets do nothing for 10 years and all of a sudden they get two years of just boom-like growth. Generally, on the east coast of Australia, we're quite used to two or three really uh, poor years and then two or three really, really good years where the new market cycle is making up for really the contraction of the past cycle. And so from a uh, perspective of really the bullwhip effect, what's being put into the system is going to produce really the idea of a rising marketplace, which is very, very, very interesting when it comes to where things are headed. Now, there is an equation which is an important equation to understand in real estate. And it's known as the Slutsky equation. The idea that if you suddenly have more money, you might decide to improve where you live because now you can afford a better place. On the other hand, under the equation, the Slutsky equation, if you have less money, you're likely to stick with the property you already have because having a place to live is important. And obviously, no one wants to end up homeless. So really, the equation, which is something that you need to understand in real estate, is that when there are tough times, people hunker down and hold on to their real estate. But when money becomes more ready available, people upgrade their real estate, which is a really, really important mechanism to understand. We're probably seeing the real truth of the Slutsky equation unfold at the moment. By way of example, people aren't offloading their properties. In fact, the mortgage cliff hasn't really been a cliff whatsoever. What it's done has really locked people into more of a prison than a cliff. People are holding on to their home because a lot of people upgraded their housing arrangement during the low rate period. And of course, they used the Slutzier equation to basically buy more stuff and then they hunker down. Buy stuff, hunker down. Buy stuff, hunker down. It's really the process which we're going on. It's not really a buy uh, something, then panic and sell environment. It's buy, hunker down, use the low rates to upgrade, then hunker down. That's really the equation which we're seeing unfold, which is... Uh, very, very uh, in tune with that piece of economic ideology. And of course, probably the one thing to understand a property cycle is to understand what is known as the conical equation. The conical equation breaks the cycle down into three components, an income or household income component, a supply component, and a demand component. So let's dig into supply, which is probably the most interesting equation at the moment when it comes to understanding what direction the property market is headed. Obviously, uh, you can have high supply and low supply. What's interesting though is when the market actually reduces how many properties are available, we consider this a low supply dynamic. Now, when a market reduces the amount of supply, that can come from a couple of factors. Basically, the Slutsky equation of people holding on to their properties and not putting them on the market. It can come from no production of new stock being produced, or it can come from policies such as build to rent, whereby now half the production of new properties don't even come to the uh, sale market anyway. And so when we look at where the market cycle is at the moment using the conical equation, which is just basically three metrics blended together, income, supply and demand, we can see we're in a low supply marketplace. Uh, we can be in a balanced supplied marketplace or we can be in a high supplied marketplace as well. The high supply marketplace is when the market quickly adds more properties for sale uh, and prices react accordingly. 
So if I was to go back to really a much higher supplied dynamic, I could look at total property listings, for example, and go back to November 2018. Have a look at the listings that were on the market during that period. There were 361,000 properties on the market in November 2018. Today, if we were to look at the amount of properties that are available, there's 220,000. So you can see a big difference between 360 and 220,000 properties on the market um, for this period of time. And so you're in a very low supplied elasticity of market. And of course, you can layer on then, for example, new greenfield houses being produced in the outer suburbs where there's large parcels of land often rezoned and uh, taken to the new housing construction marketplace. If we look at really some of the HIA reports, which is basically new home sales reports, very, very low production rate of new properties being built at the moment. And of course, the apartment market is probably the easiest uh, market to analyze because really completions are drying up, um, stock under construction is drying up and uh, most stock is being deferred and uh, basically not being marketed. So even the future is even worse than where we are today. Imagine today we are in a crisis, but down the track is even worse. That is where we find ourselves. And of course, the Great Mortgage Cliff became the Slutsky Equation which is just the equation that when people have more money, they will buy, but when they have less money, they won't sell. And really we're seeing that whereby there is really a low level of stress in the home buyer world. Uh, the idea that people were going to sell off in droves has not occurred. And uh, tracking, you know, basically distressed listings i.e. listings which, you know, people are dropping their price. It's a very, very small percentile of the market at the moment going through uh, basically stress and selling at a stress level. You know, by way of example, in Melbourne, it's, it's, it's less than 2%, which is really basically the long-term average. In Hobart, it's like 1%. In uh most marketplaces, the total listings are just so low of people who are in stress. So, you know, one in 100 people are basically going, you know, I'm ready to drop my price. That's not a lot of people. That's not three houses in every street. That's not a bloodbath about to unfold. The numbers aren't there. By way of contrast, in the American meltdown in the GFC, the total distress listings got over 14% before there was a market meltdown. When you've got Melbourne at 1%, there's no market meltdown because Melbourne's always at 1%. So the Slutsky equation is unfolding. It's unfolding. It's an economic principle. It's a theory of economics and it is unfolding. And of course, uh, really, again, when people basically have gone and bought their dream home using using low rates, why would they give up that dream? Why? Tell me why. Now, I've got to fix something just quickly. All right, I'm back. Jeez, don't go. The camera was running out of battery. And uh, if that camera collapsed, that means I'd have to start the podcast again. And we never know when we start restart a podcast, we could drift off into a complete new world. But I'm back. We saved the camera. The battery is working. Thank goodness. So obviously, um, we can uh, analyze the, the conical equation and go, well, income uh, supply, no supply. No supply. 
And interesting, sometimes when there is high supply in the marketplace and bargains to be had, people don't react to the high supply. Um, you know, I've been seeing periods in time where you could get 10% off property, 15% off property. And uh, even though there's sort of better supply energy for a buyer, doesn't necessarily pe mean people reach out and grab it. But in a low supplied economy, what's seemingly happening is we are seeing um, a good equation for the supply dynamic. Now, the next part of the conical equation is income, income. And remember, this all relates to the property cycle, right? So we want to know if the property cycle is actually moving or we're getting clickbaited um, and, uh, you know, the media is just basically, you know, clicking and baiting us. So the next one is the income metric on the conical equation. And so basically what happens is there's low income elasticity and high income elasticity. So basically low income elasticity is people are not super excited to buy property, even though they've got access to more income. High income elasticity is people are very enthusiastic about buying property when they have more money, okay? So uh, if we were to analyze right now, people obviously paying more for mortgages um, and, you know, we're starting to see people basically buy real estate even though their household budget is tighter, and, uh, you know, you can have the polar opposite to that where people are not super excited to buy property with more income. Then you can have high income elasticity, which is people are enthusiastic and excited about buying property because they have a little more income. Now, we've got to go remember that when we say income, it's household income. And when we talk about income, we're talking about its relationship to the cash rate. So, Basically, what's unfolding at the moment is the cash rate has stopped its rapid rise, its explosive rise, and has now reached the top of the cycle, give or take one or two adjustments. People now realize that and are basically now more confident about their household budget and are actually we have seen that people have gone from not being super excited to buy property to people basically getting excited to buy property. And I would say from an income equation on the conical uh, theory of uh, economics that we are now a bit balanced when it comes to that situation. We're not in a high income elasticity. We're not in a low income elasticity. Remember, if consumers expect their incomes to rise in the future, their confidence levels increase. And really what we're seeing is a confidence level increasing for many people in the marketplace. So then we go to the demand side of the conical equation. And uh, we can look at low demand elasticity and high demand elasticity. Low demand elasticity is people are not changing their minds much about buying properties when prices change up or down. High demand elasticity is people quickly change their mind about buying properties when prices go up or down. And so if I said to you right now, um, there's $200,000 you can make from a property deal. 50% of listeners would go, uh, I'm not going to change my mind about the property market. I don't care about the $200,000 you can make out of the property deal. Um, I'm not changing my mind. My demand of me buying, I'm not changing. And so despite the opportunity, low demand elasticity basically means people are set in their ways, they're not budging. They don't want to make a mistake. They're not going to reach out and grab the $200,000 opportunity. High demand elasticity is people quickly go, wow, I can make $200,000. I 
I'm going to go out there and buy that $200,000 in that property deal. And so uh, really, if we analyze where the cycle is at at the moment, is 50% of people feel like there's an opportunity. 50% of people feel like they would still make a mistake if they jumped into the marketplace. They would not take the opportunity to make the money. They see that uh, 50% of people are in low demand elasticity and 50% of people are in high demand elasticity. And we're starting to see the high demand of the conical equation unfold at auctions. Uh, certainly, there's enough support at auctions now. Remember, in an auction, you need um, at least three or four people to push up the price of an auction. Uh, properties are only auctioned if there's an appropriate level of buyer interest. You can't auction a property to one person. It's just you know ir an irrelevant kind of metric. So if we look at the clearance rates, we're starting to see auctions really perform and clearance rates are above, for example, 80% on certain weekends in Sydney, uh, in Melbourne, which are typically high strength auction places in Canberra. And so if we link it to the demand side of the conical equation, we know people are quickly changing their minds because they are going to auction and uh, even if the property goes up in value, they're buying, or if they happen to get a bargain, they're still buying the property. High demand elasticity. I would say 50% of people have crossed the Rubicon. They're now considered uh, part of the demand metric, and 50% of people are still umming and ahhing. Um, not too sure about what's going to happen next, which is interesting. But again, if we look at the different marketplaces, Brisbane's apartment and house market has risen, uh, Adelaide as well, Melbourne as well, Perth as well, um, and Sydney as well, where we're basically seeing property values rise. And again, it's only a quarter of economic growth, but it really has shown that um, traditionally, if you were to look at a property clock, you've got the bottom start of recovery and the start of rise. And really, probably it's fair to say um, on a traditional property clock, we're certainly past the bottom because in the bottom of the market, you don't get a rising uh, level of growth. Now, of course, the argument is that we need to have a couple of quarters in a row to really confirm we are in a rising market. But without question, uh, if we look at where we find ourselves in the cycle, uh, we've got an affordability crisis. We've got uh, really people using the Slutsky equation, basically not selling. Uh, you've got the rental increase crisis. You've got stock levels tightening. Um, and really, that puts us in a position where, you know, ultimately, that should spit out price rises. So certainly, in accordance with the forecast from NAB, I would say, you know, the future looks quite bright. And if we had a look at really what the great Australian dream looks like, say, in 18 months time in 2025, uh, we could have using the conical equation a high income elasticity, people getting enthusiastic about buying more property uh, when they have a little extra money based on household income improving, based on rates dropping. And we know that's a proven formula in Australian real estate. We will still have low supply elasticity, basically when uh, the stock levels are very, very low. Um, and the market can't really change how many more properties are produced. So we, uh, from a supply point of view, do not have a way to increase production. Um, there is less stock going to be put on the market. If, and in particular, when rates drop, obviously less people are going to, uh, you know, need to panic sell. And of course, generally those who will sell will rebuy using that rate dynamic. And of course, so in 2025, we're going to have uh, basically more income, less supply, and uh, more demand. 
because we will see a much higher demand elasticity. People will quickly change their minds about properties because properties will be going up in value and money will be cheaper. And so if I fast forward using the conical equation, I can see there is a future rise in value in real estate. And uh, again, like when prices rise faster than incomes, you start to see different behaviors in people's psychology. Now, remember, buyer behaviors are connected to a couple of little sayings. You've got phobia, fear of being involved. You've got FOM, fear of making a mistake. You've got PPF, past peak fear. And then you've got FOMO, fear of missing out. Now, using the conical equation, I would say that 50% of the market is fearful of making a mistake right now. And 50% of the market is actually past peak fear. Hence why we're getting a rising market in prices and early adopters are out and about investing and buying. Remember, the A-class investor basically buys on time, the B-class investor buys in time, and the C-class investor buys when it's when they're out of time. And uh, generally when there's FOMO happening, it's usually when people buy last. And of course, to extract the most out of the asset's future gain, you don't want to buy last. You want to be in time or on time. And so again, if I said, uh, hey, there's a great opportunity, it's got $200,000 in the deal, those that are past peak fear would reach out and grab it. Those fearful of making a mistake, the FOM section of the market would go, no, that sounds too risky, uh, you, know, you know, and start to question um, the whole thing, right? So half the market is sort of, again, if you go back to the, the conical equation, half the demand section of the market is people who are not changing their mind about buying property at this point in time, a low elasticity. The other half is a high demand elasticity. People are quickly changing their minds. They're going, you know what? Um, I know where the footprint of economics is. I know the cost of money. I know the jobless rate, feel like the worst is over. Uh, I'm going to get out there and buy. And so uh, we're probably at that point where we are seeing the first property rises. And of course, eventually that read leads to a rise in valuations, like prices become more. And of course, when prices become more, uh, your risk increases. And that's just the challenge of real estate. Um, when you are forced to compromise because things cost more, usually it means you're buying a less effective property because it's you're having to compromise, for example, location, proximity, uh, maybe um, property design, maybe property type because uh, you're coming late to the party. So certainly the early adopters are out and uh, what they're buying is is location and proximity and property type. And uh, the question remains, what if the market goes up another 10% per National Australia Bank's forecast? Well, what does that do to your investment strategy? Well, actually it creates more risk because if you're late to the party, the risk is ultimately more. The risk, of course, is you're you miss a section of capital growth, your risk of, of course, is things cost more and your budget doesn't allow you to buy it. So you push further out into a superior asset with lower rates of growth. Now, understanding value is an important concept and I'm going to teach you the ingredients. It's like making a, you know, uh, an apple pie. You can't make an apple pie without apples. There's ingredients to the process. So this is the equation of value. It's real estate, uh, real estate participants 
plus credit and mortgage market interactions, plus supply versus demand, plus pricing equilibrium, plus buyer behavior. That's it. It's the sum of all of those pluses. Real estate participants, basically borrowing money, supply versus demand, the price of real estate, the equilibrium of pricing, and the behavior of buyers, what they're structurally doing. Are they upgrading, downgrading? Are they uh, in family formation stage? It's real demographic principle. Buyer behavior. Are they also basically in a high demand behavior or a low demand behavior? And of course, the participants in the marketplace are always growing here in Australia because we have a robust migration uh, method of new people coming to the country. And of course, um, you know, you've got different subcategories of participants, first home buyers, investors, you've got second home buyers. Uh, So really when I value the marketplace today, I would say, and I'm primarily talking about um, certainly uh, at a macro level, the marketplace, obviously you've got to drill into local factors that determine different rates of growth. But at a macro level, if I was to go, where is the market today? If 25 out of 25 is a red hot, blazing hot, everything's going up marketplace, we're at about the 16. The participants in the market are sitting on the fence. It's about a three out of five. Credit in the market is about two out of five. People aren't rushing out to borrow money uh, at 6% interest rate. They're not doing it. Uh, Market supply versus demand, we're at a five out of five. Like there's nowhere for people to live. Nowhere for people to live. Pricing equilibrium, prices have come back over 2022 and are starting to rise again. So price-wise, it's pretty good place right now. Um, but Australian property is ultimately not cheap. And so I would give pricing equilibrium about a three out of five. And buyer behavior, basically uh, the idea that demand itself is moving forward um, and moving because of demographic reasons like starting a family and formating. I would say buyers are sitting on the fence, 50% are basically taking action and 50% are are basically, you know, chilling out right now. Giving a 16 out of 25 total. Making though the market rise in value because we are past the halfway point. Remember, 25 is the score, which means 12 and a half is the bottom of the market. So 16, we are in a rising market. Now, fast forward into 2025, rates are lower, uh, basically because of the Slutsky equation, you know, people are like, you know, hunkering down right now um, and not selling. Uh, Rates start to change the cycle. People start to potentially sell, but they're also rebuying. So you've got a lot of participation in the market. The sales volumes increase. Um, and, uh, you know, your participation rate increases. It's four out of five. Credit's better. People can borrow money. So you're probably at three and a half to four out of five. Supply, though, is still very, very low. There's no extra stock being produced. So you're still five out of five. Prices are starting to uh, move. They're starting to um, increase. And so you're at a four out of five. And there's um, some strong reasons for people to buy. So you're sort of at four out of five. So you can see right now we're at a 16, but into the future, we could be much higher than that, even at a 20, which takes you really to nine o'clock on the property clock, which is basically a rising market. So weaker hands lose market share when property prices rise. That's basically the formula here. And so... What happens is in real estate, there is a concept known as 90-day theory whereby basically there's going to be one quarter where the market jumps 
and you kind of are late to the party. And it's where that $600,000 property becomes $650,000 or it's where that $600,000 property even becomes $700,000. It happens over a quick period of time. And uh, really the theory is the golden gain theory that basically a large amount of the gain of any asset class is made really uh, as the asset class starts to take off in value. And uh, for a lot of property investors, they miss the golden gain section of the market because they fumble around and wait uh, too late, basically. They become in the opening address, the A-class investor buys uh, basically uh, on time, the B-class investor buys in time. Uh, For the B investor, they buy in time, but they may just miss a bit of the golden gain section of the marketplace. Uh, you know, they buy at 625 and the, then the market becomes 700. They could have bought at 600. They buy at 625 and the property becomes 650. They could have bought at 600. So it's an interesting concept, but I do believe over the next 18 months, we will see values rise. We'll see valuations rise. And really that uh, context comes from the conical equation and also uh, really if we think about we've had uh, you know a pretty positive quarter of property growth um, which is great it's got lift off the market um, you know will the golden gain be the next 90 days or the 90 days after or in 270 days no one really knows but the point is uh, you know if you can take some action you definitely should because uh, things look better than worse when it comes to real estate. It just needs the demand factor to actually wake up to what's going on and go from fear of making a mistake to being past the peak fear. I certainly don't think there's any type of massive boom you know, in the next sort of two to three years, but I definitely do see some golden gains for certain properties in certain places which if you can get your hands on them, you absolutely should because uh, it'll accelerate your wealth position. All right, folks, that's it from me. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.